Fantastic. And um, yeah, that website, ilikegiving.com, has got a lot more of videos like that, uh, stories and so on. So get into that uh, in your own time. The, the, the journey of growing in generosity has no finish line. And uh, so I want to encourage you to keep pursuing that and growing in that yourself. Now, speaking of journeys, this graphic here is the graphic, the title of a conversation we're having at the moment around Elevate Church called Grapes and Giants. And the idea comes from a story several thousand years ago, where at that time, God's chosen people was the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel had for quite a period been living in captivity in Egypt, were actually uh, imprisoned, enslaved in the, the nation of Egypt by the Egyptians. And they'd actually gotten free of that. God had performed a miracle Uh, The Pharaoh of the time actually let them go, had let them leave Egypt, leave captivity. And God's best, God's destination, God's God's purpose for the nation of Israel was to break free from captivity, which they did, and ultimately break through into a land. It was actually a land that God had promised them, and we just simply call it the promised land. The the, the sad thing is that between breaking free from captivity and breaking through into the promised land, the people of Israel actually walked around in the desert for 40 years. God had no intention of them having to waste 40 years. His, his journey for them, his purpose for them, his plan for them was to be far more expedient than that. But unfortunately, they didn't do what he instructed them to do. And because of disobedience and not doing things God's way, They walked around in the desert for 40 years. And even quite sadly, the man who led them out of captivity, who got up in Pharaoh's grill and said, let my people go, was a guy named Moses. That Moses led them around doing laps in the wilderness for 40 years, wasting so much time that Moses actually died before they got to enter the promised land. He didn't ever enter God's promised land because of disobedience. Now, one takeaway is that they survived for 40 years in the desert. They survived, and we can survive in a place of disobedience. We can actually survive not doing things God's way, but we will never thrive not doing things God's way, and we will never enter into the fullness of God's promises unless we do things God's way. And so here we take it at this point in time. I'll take you back in the history of the story. At this point in time, Moses has just died, and uh, God now taps Moses' PA to take over the reins. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. See, God promises the land, but it's still up to us to take possession of it. Your territory will extend to the desert 
from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the West. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'd be pretty confident to bet that some of you, God brought you here this morning just to hear that last line. That you need to know that God will never leave you nor forsake you. And so then God said to Joshua, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Those of you that were here last month will understand there's, we talked about God's will is whatever. We talked about there is a, some boundaries that within those boundaries God sets up that, that, that's there is the position of living in God's ways. And it's there that we actually will see the blessing from God. And that's exactly what God's telling Joshua now. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. In other words, do it my way, not your way. That you may be successful wherever you go. Note, success is a Bible word. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night. It's not the latest Tony Robbins self-help book that's going to get you to receiving God's promises. It's God's word and God's promises and God's ways that's going to see us inherit his promises. Some of you spend more time reading Facebook than you do reading the Bible and wonder why you're only surviving and not thriving so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then, in other words, once you've done something to take possession, then God says you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Now, right here, this is the third time God has said to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Why do you think that is? Glad you asked. The writer records it right here. The reason that God said three times to be strong and courageous he said, then, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. God looked at him and understand this was Moses' personal assistant. His job up to that time was to take dictation and send emails on Moses' behalf. And now Moses, uh, God's calling him to step up from this kind of semi-obscure in the shadows role to actually lead the people into the promised land. By the way, which Moses, big heavyweight of the people of Israel, hadn't actually been able to do. So it's okay to, for us to think this guy's petrified. This guy thinks he's incapable. Yeah, sure, in the natural, he is. And many of you have, have, have fears and have circumstances that are causing you to do laps in the desert. And God's saying to you, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. 
Being strong and courageous isn't about going to the gym more often and lifting more weights, and that's how you get more strong and courageous. It's understanding and living and standing and walking on this promise that God says, when I promise you the land, that as you move into that land, where there are giants that need to be defeated, I will be with you wherever you go. And we talked last week, it's not about your ability, it's about God's authority that will cause us to break through into the promised land. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Right now as a church, we're in what we've determined as our preparation season. That we're not yet anywhere near as productive as a church as we need to be. We're not yet seeing enough people make first-time decisions to make Jesus their Lord as many as we need to be and want to be and, and are confident we will see. We're not seeing that yet. We're not in our productivity season. We haven't actually entered our promised land as a church. We live at the moment paycheck to paycheck. If week to week, we're only just meeting our expenses financially as a church. There's a reason that God says, while you're in this wilderness, while you're on the way to the promised land, get your provisions ready. We talk about I like giving, not because anybody here is going to you know, walk away with a bigger house and a nicer car as a result of people giving more. This is about us as a church getting our provisions ready making sure that we have what we need, that we're growing in faith, that we're growing in generosity, that we're standing on God's word, learning it, living it more in the preparation season. How you prepare is ultimately how you produce. And if we don't prepare well, we won't see God produce well. It's so important because three days from now, you'll cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land, the Lord God is giving you for your own. They'd sent spies into this promised land before this period in time, sent spies in, and these spies had gone in and they'd seen grapes, big, massive grapes. They even brought a a bunch of the grapes back, took two men to carry it on a pole between their shoulders. This bunch of grapes was so big, fantastic. The problem was they also saw giants in that promised land. And unfortunately, the voice of the the faithless ones who'd seen the giants and and looked to the giants instead of looking to God's power and God's authority and God's promise, they'd actually were intimidated by the giants. And they said, yeah, there's grapes, but there's also giants. And we've got to understand, yeah, there's grapes and yeah, there's giants, but there's God. And there's God's promises and there's God's authority. Where there's promises, there's problems, but there's God. Where there's opportunities, there's obstacles, but there's God. And God will work with us, in us, through us, ahead of us to cause the defeat. But he promises the land. We need to understand that we still need to take possession. And this is one of the things out of my little push bike ride this week. I just had this idea that one of the the pictures of this is that the, the life into the promised land is more Russell Crowe and less Ned Flanders. I think it's so sad that the Simpsons characterize church-going people with the image of Ned Flanders. And unfortunately, it's actually true <laughs> too often. Cowardly, overly accommodating, doormat 
God's saying to Joshua, be strong and courageous. More Russell Crowe and less Ned Flanders. One of the problems for us in modern day society is we live in a zoo. I don't know if you've ever thought about it. We live in a zoo. Ever been to a zoo? And have you ever visited a zoo? You, you don't have to bother. We live in a zoo. You and I, we live in a human zoo. Most of the environments we exist in are climate controlled. We have access to abundant food, most of us, on demand. We get lots of toys to keep us entertained and amused. Right? We've forgotten how to live in the wild. We get upset that the coffee's too hot or the coffee's too cold. We stand by the microwave and curse and say, come on, I haven't got all minute. We live in a zoo, we've gotten soft. It's true. Western society is a modern day people zoo. And we forget that there's battles to be fought to enter the promised land. I posted on Facebook this week, when you are committed to going into the promised land, understand you need to pack more betadine than pinaclean. It isn't about living this sanitized, problem-free, 99.9% of germs eliminated life. Following Jesus and entering the promised land, going to break through, you're going to need to pack more betadine than pinaclean. Last week, I talked about the promise of God's power. Now, I use the analogy of a smartphone, you know, whether it's an iPhone or a Samsung phone, that so many people these days have these so-called smartphones and they've unboxed them and, and maybe they've plugged them in. And unfortunately, all they're using them for is phone calls and text messages as if they're actually phones, but they're not phones. They're, they're miniature computers and they actually have far more computing power than actual desktop computers did 10 years ago. And I intentionally, when I talked about those people who insult the manufacturers by just using them for text message and making phone calls, I made sure I intentionally didn't look at Neil Gibb when I was making that illustration in case Neil thought I was somehow picking on him, which I would never do. Hey, mate, I'm the one that taught Neil that if you turn your phone on the side, you can actually send texts using two thumbs instead of doing that. It sped up his life by a factor of two. Oh, yeah. But then talking with Louis over lunch that day, having drawn this analogy about how people use their smartphones, unfortunately, too many people, the, 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 be, the best they get to using the power of God is, is praying you know, for God to bless the meal and to give them a good parking spot at the shopping center. And yet God's power is... So much more than that, in fact, so much so that the word power is from the same word as the word dynamite. It's, and, and, and Paul made sure we understood or, or, or prayed that we would understand that the power that we have access to, those of us who are following Jesus, is the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. Paul, though, Before he talked about the power, he wrote this thing. 
And again, this is a letter to a group of people in a church in Ephesus. He was in prison at the time. And he wrote to them. He said, for this reason, he was actually, he was actually saying the reason for the power. Okay, he was about to talk about the power. But he says, for, the, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped praying, uh, giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. When I read that, I'm a curious guy. He says, for this reason, I want to know what's the reason. Anyone else curious like me? Paul says, for this reason, well, damn it, what's the reason? Well, good thing you asked. And again, it's all in there. It's all in there. So much so that we're going to back the truck up this morning with the time we've got left. And I'll tell you what the reason is, the reason for the power. I'll tell you what it is. Paul wrote it. I'll just unpack it for us this morning. But let me tell you this before I do. This letter that Paul wrote, we now kind of break it up into six chapters. And uh, at the end of today, two weeks into our series, we're going to have gotten not quite all the way through the first of the six chapters. And uh, Pete's going to be teaching next week. And then we're done. So those of you that passed mathematics, probably guess that we're not going to get through all six chapters of the letter to the church in Ephesus. But nor should we. And I want to remind you that this is a 30-minute training session once a week. And if this is, this is the only training you do, then when you go out onto the battlefield, you are going to get absolutely slaughtered. So if you haven't this week been reading this book of Ephesians to allow these truths to drill down even more deeply into your heart, if you weren't here last week and you don't go and listen to the podcast and open your Bible and read it and then write, read right through to the end of the letter, chapter 6. Chapter 6 is where it really, really, really is game on. If you don't do that, it's your choice. But let me remind you, when you go out into the battlefield, you're going to get creamed. This is just one 30-minute training session. Here we go. For this reason, what's the reason? Well, this is the reason. Paul wrote to this church, and it's true for us as it was for them, how blessed is God and what a blessing he is. He's the father of our master, Jesus Christ, and takes us to the high places of blessing in him. Here's a great, here's a great truth. Long before he laid down the earth's foundations, he had us in mind. You know, I'm all for the animals. I'm all for the environment and we need to love them and, and look after them. But you know what? God created the earth with us in mind. He had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. By the way, and I said this to our team members this morning when we were uh, praying together. What I'm reading now, and it seems like a lot, in the original letter, this was all one sentence with no punctuation. It's the longest sentence in the Bible, in, the, in its original form. And I wonder, and I share this with our team members, I wonder when I hear that, I wonder, this was Paul in prison writing to a group of people, a church, a group of people in Ephesus. I get the impression that he had this sense of, urgency and he understood the importance of this message that he he didn't have time to stop and put in commons and full stops he just kept going this is this is this is incredible stuff 
We need to read it with that same sense of urgency and excitement and, uh, and wonder. Long, long ago, God decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross. We are a free people, free of penalties and punishments choked up by all our misdeeds. And not just barely free either, abundantly free. Jerry Seinfeld fans, exclamation mark. I mentioned to our team members this morning, I read this. And I look about, uh, read about lavished gift giving and free of penalties and punishments and not just barely free, but abundantly free. I wonder if you and I, if we checked out now and we moseyed on down to Cottesloe Beach and took our little, you know, dictaphone or whatever and just walked around to random people who aren't part of a church and asked them, Give me three words when you think of church. I know you're not part of a church, but just sort of your general impressions. When you think of church, when you think of Christians, give me three words that spring to mind. I wonder how many of them would say, lavish gift giving, free, and actually abundantly free. That's the impression I get when I think about, wow, if I walked into a church, if I hung out with a Christian, there would be this spirit of lavish gift giving and freedom, abundant freedom. And, and, and I don't know, and I'm not trying to beat people up on this one, but if I was a betting man, I don't think that we'd get a pretty high strike rate with those words. It's because I think somehow we've lost this in translation. Like we didn't get the memo. Like Christ, Christianity and following Jesus is about misery, boring, beating yourself up and beating other people up, judging. It's not what Paul Paul's trying to get this out there. Guys, no. We're abundantly free. He thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need. Letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him, everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet earth. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. It's not in our job. It's not in our house or our postcode. It's in Jesus that we find out who we are and what we're living for. It's not in our past. It's not in negative words that people have spoken to us. It's not about failures and circumstances that haven't gone like we would have liked them to go. It's in Jesus. He defines our future, not our past, not other people. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us. That's pretty good, isn't it? You don't seem very excited about this news this morning, by the way. Let me read that sentence for you again. And, and, and let me give you the opportunity to respond appropriately to what is 
actually often referred to as good news, which I think is an understatement. I think it's fantastically spectacular news. Let me try it again. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us. That's pretty good news, isn't it? Had designs on us for glorious living, not survival living, not wilderness living. Part of the overall purpose he's working out in everything and everyone. It's in Christ that you, once you heard the truth and believed it, this message of your salvation, found yourselves home free, signed, sealed, and delivered by the Holy Spirit. This seal is from God. And it's the first installment of what's coming, a reminder that we'll get everything God's planned for us, a praising and glorious life. Everything up until this last sentence is written in the past tense. It's Paul trying to get people to understand this has already happened. This is your position. You already have access to all of these things. It's past tense. It's done. Everything. And so our challenge, because it's past tense, our challenge is to convert the currency of heaven into the currency of everyday life on earth. Jesus, when he prayed a prayer that sometimes we call it the Lord's Prayer, and even those of you maybe didn't grow up in church, maybe have heard of the Lord's Prayer. One of the lines that Jesus taught when he taught people how to pray, he said, may it be done, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's this idea that this is past tense and our challenge, the, 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 the purpose of the power, the purpose of what God's called us to grow in faith is to convert the currency of heaven, which is real, which is now, which is established into our currency of how we live every day on earth, living out God's promises. The reason for the power is so we can convert the currency of heaven into the currency of earth. The reason for the power isn't so that you and I can buy bigger homes, drive nicer cars, get better jobs, have better behaved kids. The reason for God promising us access to the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is so that you and I can be used as a part of his plan to see God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I had about 25 points. I was going to preach a 25-point message because there's just so much richness in here. And uh, I'd almost wonder if we could probably spend the best part of a year just teaching from Ephesians chapter 1. I boiled it down to three. But we're already out of time. So I'm just going to share one with you this morning. And I don't know. Uh, When you boil 25 down to three, you think you've hopefully got the three most important ones. So you're not going to hear two of them this morning. Uh, Go ahead and read that letter in your own time. I think the one of, the, of these three that's, that's been resonating with me the most during this week as I've been thinking about this letter and reading it and 
meditating on it, just like God said to Joshua, meditate on my word day and night. Less Facebook and more time on your face. People say, I don't have time to read the Bible. Well, turn off the television. Some of life's most difficult problems have very simple solutions. Take your Bible into the toilet with you. God won't mind. I'm serious. It's like, if it's important, you'll find a way. If it's not important, you'll find an excuse. Meditate on my word day and night. One of the things, if you go back this week and read this first chapter of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, you'll see in, uh, let's skip ahead two slides there, Sam. There's a slide, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. You'll see this. Uh... No, no. Before God made the world, he had a plan for me. Yeah, awesome. Before God made the world, which was pretty impressive, by the way, and he may have made it using a big bang. I'm not going to arm wrestle scientists over that one. If that's how he did it, then great. Someone still made the big bang happen and then took, made order out of chaos. And, you know, I don't think that was just kind of, you know, how the dust particles settled. But, hey, what do I know? This should rock your world. Before God made the world, he made a plan for me. When you make plans, you you start with the most important things first. Well, at least if you're doing a good job of making plans. You start with the most important things first, right? We call them the big rocks. Put the big rocks in and then build your plans around the big rocks. Who's the big rock in here? It's not the actual earth. It's us. God's plan, the, the, the most important thing, was us. Now, he has a reason for that, and that was my point three that you're not going to hear about today. Uh, but his starting point, before he created the world, he had a plan for you, a plan for me. Anyone that says that you're an accident, no one's an accident. No such thing as accidental children, just accidental parents. Whoops. Yep. Guess what? It's called biology, my friend. Maybe you had a teacher that told you that you were an idiot, that you were no good, that you'll never amount to anything. I did. My year 10 social studies teacher, Hugh Moore. People say stuff like that. Our past doesn't define our future. God defines our future. God's promises define our future, or at least they should. For some of us, that's going to be the thing that we need to recalibrate. And we need to recalibrate it informed by this truth. Before God made the world, he made a plan for me. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind. Settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. God wants to make you whole and holy. You may have got some wounds along the journey of life. You may be got a few pock marks, a few missing pieces because of things. God wants, because of his love and because you're the focus of his love, to, for you to be made whole and holy by his love. That's a part of his plan. When I thought of this and just flicking it around, 
Anyone uh, know what the 25th highest grossing film of all time is? 25th. Anyone, anyone like to guess? I'll give you a hint. I'll give you a hint. It's also the sixth highest grossing animated film of all time. So that'll narrow it down a bit. No, no, we get three guesses. Two, no. Oh, no. But they're, they're all good. They're all good. I mean, I'm sure they're all up there. The 25th highest grossing film of all time is a film called Finding Nemo. Ah, yes, yes, yes. And uh, Finding Nemo, if you haven't watched it yet, or if your kids haven't made you watch it 73 times, it talks a story about this guy, Orange Clownfish, called Nemo, or as our Italian cousins call him, Nemo. And uh, his sidekick is this blue character named Dory. That's right, not Dora. Dory. The voiceover for Dory is done by Ellen DeGeneres, right? And uh, she's an absolute scream. The character is an absolute scream. Uh, the writer of Finding Nemo, during the writing process, when he was actually writing the script, he and his wife were watching an episode of Ellen DeGeneres. And they saw her in the opening of this particular show of, of her, the Ellen DeGeneres show, they saw her, watched her change the topic of conversation five times in one sentence. And from that very moment, he wrote the character of Dory with Ellen DeGeneres in mind. Before Ellen DeGeneres even knew that she was going to become the voice of Dory. Before Ellen DeGeneres even knew there was such a character as Dory. Before Ellen DeGeneres even knew there was such a movie script being written called Finding Nemo that would go on to become the 25th highest grossing movie of all time, the writer of that movie had her in mind, had a plan for her. God when he was designing his script, his plan for the universe, for the creation of the world, and now ultimately for the redemption and salvation of the world, he chose you because he saw enormous value in you. How do you think Alan would have felt when that script arrived on her doorstep and she was told that the writer wrote this character with you in mind? Do you think she would have felt valued? I think it would have absolutely blown her doors off. Guys, before God made the world, he had a plan for you and for me. It's a promise of purpose. And in response to that, not to try and get his approval, in response to that, we should live a life of purpose. We should orient everything. Orient everything. Orient everything. We should be serving him. Orienting our time. Orienting our finances. Orienting our words for the establishment of his plans and his purpose. I said with our team, just and I'll finish with this. I said with our team this morning, the question we so often ask is, God, what's your will for my life? But the better question is to say, God, what's your will? Full stop. And then to ask a second question, and how can you use me to fulfill your will? 
And his will, if you haven't already figured it out, is the salvation of all mankind. And we, knowing that he has a plan for us, that's the plan to take his power and to put it into his purpose, to be used by him to see people come to know him and discover that he had a plan for them as well when he created the heavens and the earth. Are we going to do one more thing just as we finish here? I'm going to give you an opportunity if you've never yet made a decision to actually start a relationship with God. We're going to give you that opportunity right now. We do this every week. We say it's the most important thing we do. If you've never yet made a decision to say, God, I want to actually have a relationship with you. You may have grown up in a church. You may have never been to a church before. That's not the important question. The important question is right here, right now. Do you have a relationship with God? And if you don't, my encouragement to you is to start that relationship. And you know what? It's not that complicated to start that relationship. God wants to have that relationship with you even more than maybe you want to have it with him. But he wants to know that you're genuine. He wants to know that you're serious. He wants to know that your heart is open. This morning, I want to give you the opportunity just to show him that and really say, hey, God, I I do. I I want to have that relationship with you. For those of you that need to take that step and make that decision this morning, I just want you in a moment just to put your hand up and you're saying to God, yeah, that's me. My heart's open to to starting a relationship with you. And when, when I see your hand, you can put it down. And then we're going to pray. So right now, really quickly, before we finish, if you've never yet started a relationship with God, now's your opportunity. Just put your hand up and say, God, that's me this morning. And then when I see your hand, you can put it down. And then we're just going to pray quickly. So guys, I've talked about this this morning being our preparation season. We're not preparing for bigger buildings and nicer carpet, although, you know, that's okay. We're preparing to be used by God to see more people come to know him, to enter our promised land, to not just be a church that runs laps for one hour on a Sunday and then goes home to our normal everyday lives, but to be a church that sees God use us to cause people that don't yet know him to come into an eternal relationship with him. So let's stay about that. Let's take that seriously. There's a sense of urgency in this. The fact that no one puts their hand up, the fact that we maybe on some Sundays don't even have any first-time guests here should absolutely terrify us, should absolutely rip our undies. It really should, and I'm not having a go at anyone. I'm saying this is it's serious and it's urgent. So let's get about that. Let's pray about that. Let's make sure we are spending time during our week engaging with and investing in to unchurched and de-churched people and see what God's going to do with that.